Well, if you're a bit curious why uh, you see me up here, second week in a row, not Michael. Uh, Michael is actually uh, at preaching at one of the churches we support. And so at Genesis, we really value uh, the kingdom. We're excited to support different church planters. And uh, Michael's at Restoration Road. So Joey Thompson, who's a pretty regular face here, uh, that's where he's at this morning. So I'm just going to give Michael 30 seconds of prayer we can cover him with before we jump in. So God, thank you that you are a kingdom-minded God. Thank you that you are so much bigger than Woburn, Massachusetts. You're so much bigger than Genesis Church, but you are a global God. Thank you that you've risen up church planters to go into the Boston area to proclaim Christ. Lord, that church be encouraged this morning. Encourage Michael with the gospel we preach would people respond. We pray in your name, Christ. Amen. Well, when I was in fourth grade, uh, my journey to stardom began and ended quite abruptly. Um, one of the friends that we played sports with, his dad was running for the local government. And uh, this is like rural, beatnik, backwoods Minnesota. So this is not like super high-class stuff, but he was running for the government. And what he wanted to do for the campaign is film a commercial to be filmed and shown on the local TV. Uh, I thought that was the coolest thing ever, right? So he invited some friends to help film this commercial. And what the commercial was is we were all standing in a parking lot, okay? And we had a sign, and the sign said yes or no. And so the camera would cut to the candidate, and he'd say, do you want higher taxes in the parking lot? No! Do you want better schools? Yes! And I guess the fourth grader, I'm the politician guy going for better schools and lower taxes. But I thought it was the coolest thing ever because I thought I'm going to be on TV, right? I'm going to be the star. Like, people are going to see me, and so I'm going around telling my friends to watch for me on TV because I'm there, and I'm telling my teachers, look for me. I'm going to be on the TV because right, in my head, I made myself the point of this commercial. Right? In my head, the chubby, red-headed fourth grader in the janky parking lot video for the local libertarian candidate. I thought that was about me. Uh, turned out it wasn't. Uh, actually, turned out the commercial everyone got shown on TV. They canceled it. I had to then do the walk of shame and tell all my friends and teachers that I wasn't going to be on TV, that everything was not going to work out how I thought. And maybe worst of all, uh, our, our friend who was running for the office, he didn't end up winning. Uh, it turned out a couple weeks later that Russian meddling got in the way. <laughs> Here's what I learned, though. When you make yourself the point, you'll always miss the point. Right? I was not the point of the commercial. Right? The candidate was. But I thought I was, and so I ended up missing what was actually going on. And the scary thing is all of us almost all the time make ourselves the point in everything we do. And because we make ourselves the point, we end up missing the real point. And it's no surprise that we are the most unhappy, dissatisfied group of people ever to walk around because we keep missing the point. Like in our careers, we've made money the point of our careers. Right? That's what we go after. Well, that's a miss. And that's why you have 76% of people reporting that they hate their job. Marital conflict? Marital conflict is always because someone in their marriage made themselves the point. That's a miss. 51% of marriages will end in a divorce. Parents make their kids the point of their life. And then kids grow up and have to go to counseling. Singles make finding a spouse the point of their life. Pastors will make filling up the seats the point of their life. 
Culture is making self-determination the point of your life. We are the point in everything that we do. And because it's all giant misses, it really shouldn't surprise us that 8 out of 10 people say they struggle with loneliness, sadness, or depression. Because when you make yourself the point of your life, you'll miss the point of life. If you have your Bible, open up to Exodus 2, verse 11, because we're going to look at Moses. And Moses, in his early life, he was a guy who looked towards himself, trusted in himself. Moses was a guy who made himself the point, and he ended up missing it. So if you're in Exodus 2, verse 11, let's together read and see how this plays out in Moses' life, but also how God redeems it. So verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, all right, so let's, let's stop quick and just talk Moses. Last week, Moses is a baby in the Nile River. Verse 11 now, one verse later, he's a 40-year-old man. Right now, a lot has happened in Moses' life. He's grown up in the household of Pharaoh. And what that means is this would be the most prestigious boarding school you can imagine. Right? Think best education, best training, best lifestyle. Right? He's kind of that prince of Egypt privilege. Like Moses is living in the 1%. Actually, Acts 7 says a little bit about Moses' early life. It says, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. So in our language, uh, Moses, dude's a straight-up stud, right? He's got everything going for him. He's best-looking guy. Everything he touches turns to gold. All the athleticism, all the brains. And in the end, he always gets the girl, always. Okay, that's Mo he's that guy. Hate that guy. That's Moses. And Moses, he knows he's kind of a big deal. Like he, he knows he's, he's the dude. But Moses, he also has this compassionate side to him. Because the story goes on, it says, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, he looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. So to feel the weight of this, it might be helpful to understand the Egyptian wisdom that Moses was brought up in. At a very, very young age, he would have been indoctrinated to learn that Hebrew people were subhuman. Egyptian thought where Hebrew people were less than. That's why when Pharaoh is making edicts to kill everybody, like no one's standing up as activists for the Hebrew people, right? They're kind of the living dead. They're, they're nothing more than farm animals. And so when Moses looks at them, he has compassion, and then he identifies with them, right? It's his people. It's his people. Well, this would be this mind-bending, paradigm-shifting experience for Moses because it's repulsion of Egyptian privilege and it's solidarity with the Hebrew people. And so you have the Egyptian prince of peace who rejects that and joins the Hebrew people. What would naturally happen? Well, it says he looked this way and that way and seeing no one, he struck down the Israel or the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So Moses naturally thinks the best idea here is to kill a person. So we need to give this guy a Sam Adams because that's a really bold move. That's going from compassion to murder in three seconds. And so this is just a bit of free pastoral counsel. You can take this claim as your own. If you ever find yourself murdering somebody, safe to say you missed the point. Right? It's safe to say you took a misstep somewhere. Okay, and this is where Moses gets all jammed up. Because Moses, he's actually trying. That's the thing. In Acts 7, it says this compassion and solidarity that Moses has with the Hebrew people, 
Like, that's actually from God. That's God working in Moses. So he genuinely wants to be used by God, but Moses misses the point because he makes it about himself. And how do we know this? Well, it's pretty simple. Has God told Moses yet that he's going to be the one to deliver the Israelites? No. Did God tell Moses that when you identify with the Israelite people to kill the Egyptians? No. No, Moses isn't using wisdom here. He doesn't consult God. Right? He's not being patient. He's not seeking guidance. Moses takes the situation into his own hands. He kills the guy. Right? It's what you call a false start. And the whole situation immediately backfires in Moses' face. It says, He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. He said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. So all of a sudden, Moses realizes that he's missed the point. Because Moses, you have to understand, as the Egyptian uh, privileged guy, he could have killed whoever he wanted. Nobody would have cared. Like, it was his power. He could have killed any Egyptian he wanted to, but because he's powerful, it doesn't matter. But it's when he identifies with the Hebrews, that's when it's treason. And Moses just thinks, I'm going to make a lateral move here. I'm going to go from leader of Egypt to leader of Israel. Right? It's about him. But when the Hebrews say, pass, who do you think you are, Moses? Well, he recognizes the fact that, man, this guy's up a crick. I got this predicament here. Frustration ensues, so he flees Egypt. When Moses makes himself the point of his life, he misses the point of life. Because the Exodus, the point of Exodus is not Moses the leader. It's God the deliverer. Right? The whole point is God rescuing the people, not Moses. And we know this because the story, it starts with Abraham. It doesn't even start with Moses. But he misses that and he makes it about himself, not what God would ultimately do through him. When you make yourself the point of your life, you will miss the point of life. And so maybe just an honest question, what's the point of your life right now? If you were to look at your calendar, what you do with your resources, how you spend your free time, if you were to look at all these different metrics, what would we say the point of our lives are? Would it be happiness? Why is it that the people who search hardest for happiness are the ones who least likely to find it? You ever notice that? Maybe the point of your life is relationships. Why is it the people who are so hyper-focused on all the relationships in their life, they're the ones with the most relational dissatisfaction? Is the point of your life wealth? Just accumulating more, getting more? Why is it that the people who go hardest after wealth, enough is never enough? Maybe the point of your life is religion. Do this. Don't do that. Why is it the people who are so tethered to the do's and don'ts? They're the same people who feel most often like they disappoint God. It's because when you make yourself the point of your life, you're going to miss the point of life. 
The problem, of course, is you never know you're missing the point as you miss it, right? It's like a hindsight observation. So right now, how would you even know if you're missing the point? Like, what are some ways that we can, we can look at and say, yeah, I think I'm missing the point of life? Well, I think Moses teaches us two things. And if one of the two of these things characterizes your life, it's a safe bet to say you're missing it. And the first is pride, right? Moses is a prideful guy. Moses thought he was the dude. And just honestly, culturally speaking, he kind of was the dude. And so Moses thought naturally God would use him to deliver the Israelites. But if Moses' plan would have worked out, who would have been remembered? Moses or God? Right? If, if when he killed the Egyptian, the Israelite people rallied around him, anointed him their leader, followed him wherever he wanted to take them, who would they be talking about? Him or God? Moses. Right? That's making it about yourself. When you want to be remembered, when you want people to talk about you, to celebrate you, when your life is characterized by pride, you're missing the point of life because you're making it about you. And we kind of all know that blatant pride, right? We all know that person who makes everything about themselves, always talks about themselves. Like, that's ugly, that's gross. But what's most scary to me, when I read this passage, what terrifies me, it's the pride that masks itself as spirituality. The pride that will hide itself behind, I hope people think I'm holy. I hope people look at me and think I'm faithful. I hope people are really impressed by how much I love God. Because that's Moses. I'm going to work for God, but I just want people to kind of talk about me. I want people to remember me. Pride that hides itself behind spiritual things, that is a cancer that will kill you. And I'll be honest with you, I have got to pray against this every Sunday. Because every Sunday I walk up on this platform and I either preach or I sing. Right? My job is spiritual things. And I'm going to get grandma calling me on the phone saying, Kyle, I'm so proud of you. You're up there just preaching the word, singing the gospel, Kyle. Whole family's so proud of you. Your mom would have been so proud, Kyle. And if I'm not careful, I'm going to believe grandma. Nana can't look into my heart, though. Nana can't see what's going on. Nana can't see the tension I feel. Because I genuinely pray every week for all of you that you would see God, that you would love God, that you would know Christ, that you would value Christ. But if you walk out of here this morning and you're talking about how good of a sermon it was, I'm going to be okay with that too. All right, that is pride, hiding behind spiritual things. If your life is marked by pride, man, that is a telltale sign that you are making your life about you and you're going to miss the point. Second thing, if your life is marked by fear, it's a good indication you're missing the point of life. You notice how afraid Moses is in this passage? He's looking over his shoulder. He's hiding the body. He's worried about what the Israelite people think of him. Afraid of Pharaoh, goes on the run. It's all this is fear. Fear paralyzes people from embracing who God's calling them to be. When you're afraid to step out and to step into what God has for you, no, you're making your life about you. When you're afraid to engage people, with, talk about the gospel, talk about Christ. When you're afraid to trust him with your finances. When you're afraid to call out sin. When you're afraid to be all that God has called you to be, 
That is 100% making your life about you. Because fear at its core, fear is just fear of rejection. Right? It's rejection of people. Like, what if people don't like me? What if they don't accept me? Right? It's fear of being rejected by self. What if I can't do all that I want to do? What if I can't be all that I wanted to be? Or it's rejected by God. What if I fail God? What if I let him down? Man, when those are the thoughts that are paralyzing us from stepping into what God has for us, that is making your life about you. And you're going to miss the point of what God has for you. So if you find that you are afraid to engage with God, engage with the gospel, engage with community, engage with the church, engage with people, if you feel like you can't step into that because of some form of rejection, pump the brakes. Like when you make yourself the point of your life, you're going to miss the point of life. And if you see pride or if you see fear bubbling up in you, it's time to take an honest moment of self-reflection. So that's Moses. He's prideful, he's fearful. So what does God do with a bunch of prideful, fearful people? What does God do? Does he pass over? Does he go find somebody else? Go find the rock star Christian to do his work? No, by grace, actually, God will show you the point of your life by bringing you into the wilderness. Because when you lose yourself in the wilderness, you're going to find God. Right? When you lose yourself, you're going to find God. So Moses, he runs to Midian. This is pure Forrest Gump style. Midian's like 250 to 500 miles away from Egypt. So he, that's quite a haul. He trucks it that long. He gets to Midian. Midian, not the life he had in Egypt. All right, and in Egypt, he was prince. It was hot tubs, Range Rovers, big screen TVs. Midian, dude's milking a goat, right? <laughs> dude's herding sheep. It's not the life he had envisioned for himself when he killed the Egyptian. So why would God bring him to the wilderness? Why all the way out here? Because if God knew he was going to use Moses to deliver the Israelites, why wouldn't he just keep him there, work amongst his people? Actually, if God was a more strategic thinker, he should have kept Moses in the household of Pharaoh, let Moses work from within, take down the system that way. But he doesn't do that. He brings them to the wilderness. Why? Because God almost always works in you before he works through you. And God almost always works in you in the wilderness. The wilderness is these seasons of life that are marked by confusion. Seasons of life like you're not quite sure what's going on where God feels most distant, where life is mostly marked by frustration, mostly marked by disappointment. It's these seasons of life where we have no idea what's going on. But these are the seasons of life that God works in us. The work, it's painful though. It's God exposing sin. It's God rooting up that pride. He's rooting up that fear. He's breaking down our expectations and replacing them with his expectations. And nobody likes to be in the wilderness. It just so happens, though, that's where God does his most profound work. It's in the wilderness that we learn what the real point of life is. It was actually in the wilderness where I got called to ministry. My whole life was all about me. I'd spent every second of my life manipulating and scheming how I could be made the star, how I could be elevated above other people. 
That's all I cared about. And all through high school, my thing was football. I want to be good at football. And so I get out of high school, and I go to college, and college is my promised land. Because I'm going to college on a football scholarship. I'm doing everything I want to do. This is my life. This is what I work so hard for. And then all of a sudden, after a few months, once that initial excitement wore off, God started destroying everything in my life. It was confusion. Like football was not what I thought it was going to be. That whole lifestyle of the college athlete, yeah, I didn't want any part of that. I was dating my now wife, Lindsay, at the time. She was 2,000 miles away. Terrible. And all my life, I had manipulated the situation to put myself in the best case scenario. And now God was systematically dismembering it. And now if you know me, I'm a pretty lighthearted guy. I like to joke and goof. Uh, this was a dark season. There was no joking. There was no goofing. This was depression. This was loneliness. This was confusion. I was grasping at straws, trying to make sense of all that was going on in life. And I remember, like it was yesterday, this one night. It's probably 1 o'clock in the morning. And my friends, they're out doing what you'd expect them to be doing. And I'm sitting in this dorm room by myself. I'm crying feeling totally alone, totally helpless, and almost like a small whisper, almost like this pull. I just, I had the sense that you've got to open up a Bible. Just so happened my grandmother had given me a Bible for a high school graduation present, still in the plastic wrap. I didn't even open it yet. And so I grabbed this thing, I rip off the plastic, I open it up, no idea where it's going to open to. And there, under tears, Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the spirit of the law of life has set you free from the spirit of sin and death. And almost like a snap. Because my whole life was leading up to this point. God was bringing me here because it was at this moment that I recognized life is not about me. It's about living for him who would set me free. Next morning, I went down to the coach's office. I transferred to a Christian school, and I started a Bible degree. And just to be clear, it was not like I was out of the wilderness after that night. It was this long process of God working in me, destroying a lot of what was old, to replace it with himself. But it was there that I realized the point of life. And the beauty was in the simplicity of it. The point of life is Christ glorified. That's it. The point of your life is not about you, it's about Christ being glorified. In whatever you do, if you're student, if you're employee, if you're pastor, if you're missionary, if you're retired grandparent, if you're stay-at-home mom, it doesn't matter. The whole point of life is help people see Christ and know Christ and love Christ and serve Christ and worship Christ and preach Christ. Right? That's it. But it takes so long to learn that because we've got to kill so much ugly inside of us. And that's why I think so much of our life feels like we're in the wilderness. Right? So much of our life is living in places where we really don't want to be, doing things we really don't want to be doing. So much of our life is characterized by fear and discouragement and frustration and bitterness. 
Because in all these things, God is uprooting what's in us to replace it with himself. If you are in the wilderness right now, like take heart, God has something for you in it. You are not there by accident. Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years. Not one second was wasted. I know it feels heavy. I know it feels confusing. But don't lose heart. In the wilderness, you're going to lose yourself, but you're going to find God. You're going to understand that the point of life is Christ glorified. And so if you're in the wilderness right now, I would just encourage you, stop praying for God to take you out of it. Start asking God, God, what are you doing in me so that one day you can work through me? Because when you start praying that prayer, all of a sudden, almost without even noticing it, your life has no longer been about you. It's about God. It's about what God's going to do through you. And when God starts working in you to work through you, he's going to create you into something you had no idea you even needed to be. Moses, the guy went from prince of Egypt, he comes up in the wilderness, becomes a husband, becomes a father, becomes a shepherd, becomes a leader, and he spends the next 40 years wandering around the desert. Just so happens that Moses, he's going to lead and shepherd the people of Israel through the exact same wilderness. That's not coincidence. Right? That is God working in you so that God can work through you. When you lose yourself in the wilderness, you're going to find God. And when you find God, you're going to understand, no, it's Christ glorified. That's what I'm doing. I think the most encouraging part of this story is the very last verse. Moses is standing there looking back at all that he was and all that he did, and he's looking at his new life. And he says in verse 22, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. It's this aha moment for Moses. It's his recognition of, it doesn't matter who I was. What matters is who God's made me to be. Because now Moses can identify with the Israelites. Now Moses is open to be used by God in whatever way God sees fit. It's the moment of humility where he's not characterized by pride or fear anymore. But now his hands are open. He says, God, what can I do? Just send me. So I wonder this morning if we can say that about ourselves. That we are open to be used by God in whatever way he sees fit. Are you willing to be brought into the wilderness? Not for God to fix you, for God to recreate you. Are you willing to get lost in order to find God? Are you willing to make the point of your life Christ glorified? 1,500 years later, the Apostle Paul goes through a very similar situation. Apostle Paul is going to say, if anyone has a reason to make the point of their life about themselves, I do. Right? Paul is going to say, I was better at everyone, at everything. Because Paul was. And then Paul's going to spend 15 years of his life in his own wilderness. And when he comes out of it, he's going to say, 
everything that I was, everything that I had, and everything that I did, I count it as complete garbage in order that I might gain Christ. When you make yourself the point of your life, you will miss the point of life. But if you say, to hell with fear, to hell with pride, if you would let God bring you to the wilderness to lose yourself, that you would find God. If you would say, the point of my life is Christ glorified. If you let him work in you to prepare to work through you, there is going to be a day, maybe in five years, maybe in 10, maybe in 80, where you're going to look back at everything that happened in your life. And hopefully, you and I, we can say with Paul and we can say with Moses, it doesn't matter who I was. It doesn't matter what I did. What matters is that Christ was glorified. Let's pray.